So as I mentioned, today's reflection is in honor of Black History Month, which starts, started a few days ago. And in 1926, Carter G. Woodson decided to institute what was then called Negro History Week and has now extended into the month and has now been recognized since every pre uh, by every president since Carter, uh, sorry, since Gerald Ford. So since 1976, this has been acknowledged. And one of the reasons that Black History Month for me and for so many black folks is, is so meaningful and important is that systematically our history has been erased. I can only go back in tracing my ancestors reliably up until they were required to be counted by the census just in Reconstruction after the Civil War. But it's almost impossible for me without handing over my DNA to Lord knows who to figure out where I've come from. And that's true for most African-Americans in this country. So when we celebrate at Black History Month, it is a way of acknowledging that that which we do know we want to celebrate. And one of the things that I wanted to do as we reflect on what that might mean for all of us is to think about how our history can inform our futures. And in doing that, I decided to delve a bit more into what is called Afrofuturism. And the Afrofuturists, which I'll get into the definition of exactly what that is, but the Afrofuturists really look farther down the road into you know, the future that's way down the path. And much of that is in sci-fi, which as anyone who knows me knows, I hate, I hate sci-fi. Does anyone here love sci-fi? Besides like my husband, other, yeah, okay. So I was trying to come up with a good reason for why I hate sci-fi. And I think I came up with it in reflection for today. And I'm not gonna try to get you to hate sci-fi with me. Um, I've tried long enough with my beloved who is about as dedicated a Star Wars head as there can be. Uh, and we can debate whether or not Star Wars is sci-fi or fantasy and all that. I get that it's a thing, but anyway, I was trying to figure out why it is that I don't resonate with it. And here's what I think it is. In the depictions of the future, I pretty much cannot stand the future that they're imagining for us. And in preparing for you today, I tried to look up exactly what sci-fi means or what's the difference between sci-fi and fantasy. And I guess sci-fi imagines a world involving futuristic technology, while fantasy imagines a magical world, perhaps in the future. And so sometimes those can be fused together and sometimes they're not. Does that sound like a fair de definition or distinction? Okay. Thank you. Either way, from everything that I have seen, I can't stand, I hate their future. I want nothing whatsoever to do with any future or fantasy world I have seen depicted. And given that almost everyone in my family is so dedicated to these genres, 
I feel like I've been fairly well exposed to what's out there, and I just don't like it. Because, I would say, I don't like what I've seen because I didn't really do my research. I've only absorbed that information without really seeking a more interesting or a more hopeful genre of future casting. And that's how I thought about things until we buried ancestor Greg Tate here in this church about a year ago. And Greg Tate is and was many things, but he wrote for the Village Voice and he was a dear friend of my family. And in a conversation with, um, with someone else, the word Afrofuturism arose from his very own work. So Greg Tate gathered me on this, and I started to look more into what Afrofuturism, um, and the person who, who came up with the word is a man named Mark Darrell. And he, Derry, sorry, and he imagines the unreal estate of the future through the technocultural lens of black folks. And many Afrofuturists want to re-engineer our gaze on the future so that we can conceive of the times to come in a way that we do better by us. And by us, I mean, yes, black folks, but I mean everyone, the way that just does better by us. And we write the annihilation of our past with a future that's it's beautiful. It's beyond anything that we've ever been allowed to see, which I think is why I've always hated the sci-fi fantasy genres available to us because their vision of the future didn't in any shape or form include people like me or you or even the people that we love. If your future represents only someone else's flourishing, then why would any of us want a part of it, any part of it? Why would I give a furthering, oppressive imaginary, any unreal estate in my mind? And I mention all of this to say, our vision for the future, the, and I say vision very deliberately, the images that we draw of what can be matters a whole lot, perhaps more than we can even imagine. For we walk by faith, not by sight, but what we have in our sight matters. So when you look to the future, what do you see? Do you see some dystopian, apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic hellscape? A world that you would just as soon never go into? And if that is what you see when you think about the distant future, if that's your imagination of the future, I don't think you could be blamed for it. It's just about all you've ever been shown. But what I would argue is that the truth that we are exposed to very few hopeful images of the future actually unnecessarily dooms us.
and dooms this planet we live on over which we have so-called dominion. And here's why. If the future is too blank to even, bleak to even think about, then we won't think about it. And that doesn't bode well for my daughter or the children she might have or the children you teach and love in your own lives or their grandchildren or God forbid for their great-grandchildren. And I could preach more about the dangers of all of this, but I hope that we all know that. And I don't know that that would be preaching if I linger in that space too long. But instead, I want to build better real estate in your brain via the prophet Isaiah. Prophets. What is a prophet but someone who gets a glimpse of the future that God imagines with its valleys and its peaks. The truth is that most of us are unwilling to listen to prophets because we get stuck in the valleys that they talk about and it's hard to get out of them because we don't want to hear about it. And they tend to see all these, foresee all these pitfalls where we can get stuck and we get overwhelmed. Or it asks us to give up too much. And so we look away. And when we look away, we willfully allow someone else to write our futures. We submit to, as the prophet calls it, the bleakness. But God calls us to do something different. God says, look a little bit farther. Don't look away. Don't let someone blind you, as the prophet says. Don't let someone blind you so that they can keep you under their thumb and under their control. Don't you dare concede the years to come. God says, didn't you know? Didn't you know that I intend better for you? Didn't you know that I love what I have made? Didn't you know that I don't just believe in justice, I am justice. Don't you know that I will make a way, that I will not leave you nor forsake you, that I am your refuge and your strength, that I am the starter and the finisher, the alpha and the omega, your very help in times of trial. Didn't you know that I am true to my word, that you are heirs to a promise that isn't just for some people like we seem to see it playing out right now, but for everyone, that my blessings can never be hoarded, that those who wish to snatch what they want and keep it all to themselves, that they've seen their reward, but they won't see it for long, that I intend for you to live in a land that flows with milk and honey, where every need is met, where, every, where you delight in nothing more than, than my blessing, because that is all you truly need, where you care for what I have given you, not as toil, as the fruits of your labor, that your place is in the garden 
that I have planted for you. That's what God says. Yet, there will be those who want to convince you, good people, that your future is doomed. But we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and we will be led by God on paths that are unseen so far. Walk by faith and God is going to guide us. God is going to show us a way. And God's going to make it plain. God says, walk by faith and watch what I do through you. Watch me make the rough places level ground. Walk by faith because these are the things that God will do and I won't forsake you. And when we walk by faith into our futures, we make different choices about our present. When we understand the future to be God's, we actually want to align ourselves with that future because we want to be where God intends us to be. When we know that God prioritizes the flourishing of all, we realize that there are some changes that we need to make in order to come into that alignment with God's purpose and plan. And so, you know that I have been encouraging us to think about how God is asking us to take our next steps. And I hope that in this, this season of reflection, you've been seeing God calling you into the next part of your life, the next season of your life as we've reflected. And maybe you've even come up with some goals or intentions for all that, and I encourage us to do that. But today, I also want to say there's just too much at stake for us just to look right here. I want to ask each of us to be in conversation with God about what our legacy will be. As we gaze into the future, what is it that we will contribute so that it is a future of flourishing for the generations to come? What are you and I willing to sacrifice for that future? Did you know that there seems to be an aspiration worldwide, and I can understand why, where everyone would love to be able to live by Western standards of comfort. What that means is things like air conditioning and vehicles that are burn emissions and all the things that we do to harm this planet. And if everyone on this planet were to live that way, the Earth would wind up burning. We, we won't have a planet. And so if we would like to sustain this planet, we're going to have to give up some things in the West. We're going to have to distribute things differently. Did you know that there is enough food for everyone on this planet to eat? If we didn't hold it to ourselves, and we are responsible, we are not unwitting actors. We are not walking into a future that we can't make choices to make better. And so our invitation by God, and in fact I would say our requirement, is to ask of ourselves what will our legacy be as we gaze into that future? What will we do so that we're not leaving 
our children with the burden of fixing our mistakes. It's possible, but it's not just possible, it's required. So I ask us, what is our specific sacrifice and contribution we are willing to make? And are we willing to do it together? Are we willing to covenant with each other and covenant with God to care for this planet and for its future? Are we? Let's enter into a season of intention and prayer to see what God is calling us specifically to do. And then let us imagine, just imagine, a planet that is thriving and flourishing and not burning. Imagine, just imagine, if we didn't concede our futures to a an images of a destroyed planet, but, but if everyone who proclaims Christ or the Ancient of Days, or Allah, or however you want to refer to God, if all of us were willing to gaze past those valleys and to see the peaks that God is calling us to, together of a flourishing planet, what if we didn't hand off our burdens of our stubbornness and iniquity to our children? That, I think that is how we walk by faith and by sight, even by vision. And as we do, we take in the sweet, sweet spirit of God who blesses that journey and who says, come, my beloved, let me be your guide and enjoy the ride. And let the church say, amen.